0: You guys will have those songs in your head all week long now. We knew you guys were a little bit exhausted from VBS, thank you guys. So we thought we would get you going and you can stay up now for the next uh, few minutes. So, wasn't that a good time? VBS is such a great time. We had a good time with the kids this week and um, it just is amazing. We had some opportunities to share the gospel and some, uh, there was one young, I know one young lady. Uh, I think may have prayed to receive the gospel, so that's a blessing. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Ephesians. We're going to continue our seven realities <clears throat> uh, series. We're talking about real ministers, and again, we're glad that you're joining us. If you, are, uh, if you are a guest, we are glad that you're here. If you're joining us online, we're glad that you're with us this morning. We're, actually, we left off on the, fourth, uh, on the fourth reality on real ministers. Today, we're going to be talking about how real ministers are drawn to real battles, and because we got some other things we're going to celebrate at the end, I'm going to just uh, give you a portion again this week of this message, but uh, just kind of by way of review, review, as we're turning to Ephesians chapter 6, I just want to remind you that uh, where we have been, we've been in reality number one, dealing with real people, must be found in real churches, everyone is wanted, everyone is welcome, and everyone is one, if you're just joining us, uh, this is the first reality of HBF and we spent some time talking about that then we saw in acts 11:26 that disciples were first called Christians in Antioch and so our second reality was real Christians are Christ like and we reflect diversity reproduce spiritually and respond cheerfully meaning uh, that we are givers and and the third reality is that real relationships reach people because of a relationship with Christ we have relationships with people and the first person that we want to reach is God. We talked about the woman that had an issue of blood and how her faith impacted the Lord. Uh, and there's others in the New Testament that were like that. Even Gentiles, uh, uh, soldiers, people who had faith. Jesus says, man, I haven't seen faith like that. No, not in Israel. So our relationship, uh, our relationship with God should touch him. It also should reach our families, our reach cultures, communities, cities, and countries. And then the last reality that we looked at is that how real ministers reproduce God's character And real ministers uh, reproduce obedient children. Uh, That's what it's all about, is spiritual reproduction through discipleship. And also, not just in the ministry sense, but also in our own homes, obedient uh, uh, real ministers reproduce humble servants, and they uh, reproduce submissive masters. And we went through all of those in Ephesians chapter 6, which is where we find ourselves today. So, ooh, that was a lot. So, have you ever wanted to be part of something, you know, significant, I mean, you are. I mean, BBS is pretty significant. So if you're a Christian, you know, we are part of the most significant event in history, right? Ultimately, uh, when we get saved and when we get, and then we follow that up after our salvation, we're baptized um, in, with believer's baptism. What we're all focusing on is the most significant event in human history uh, thus far, which is the first coming of Christ. And then the promises for those of us that are saved— um, that we will return with Christ on the most significant event of all of human history that's yet to happen, and that is the second coming of Christ. The whole Bible, the theme of the Bible is the kingdom and it all points to that day. And so if you're looking for significance, right, um, if you want to be an influencer, right, you need to be influenced by Jesus. That's what it boils down to. He is, um, he is the, the, the main character of the story of life. And so today so many people would, would like to To have some significance or be a part of something truly significant and if you're a christian you are part of that most significant story in history once you get saved you become part of the storyline in the bible the death the burial the resurrection it's not just something that jesus accomplished for us it's something that we actually live through we die daily we are we are alive in christ and someday it will literally be uh, visible we just celebrated um gala morford's life this week and and she was so focused on heaven it is unbelievable um, and she, is, she was totally wrapped up in the reality of who Jesus Christ was, and she was ready to go home. And she, uh, she was totally uh, ready to be part of the story of the Bible, and we will see her at the catching away of the church, along with all the saints that have gone before, because this, this is a truly significant in all of our lives that are saved. There's nothing more significant than being a child of God. And that's where we have to start, because if, if we we're going to really understand um, what drives us into uh, being everything God saved us to be? We talk about you know don't worry about doing what God wants you to do until you uh, you know you know who you are in Christ and once you once you're focused on that, God'll show you what to do and all of that's true. be who God saved you to be and you will do what God wants you to do. Well that is in large part de- dealing with our identity in Christ. And today of course you can see in our current culture that that uh, you know, <clears throat> that cultural Marxism is producing, uh, uh, and especially in the younger generation, confusion about even identity, even what gender identity is. And it's, it's, it's absurd, but it's still true. I mean, you kind of like, is this really happening? It is happening because people are removing God from the culture. The most significant person in history cannot be ignored or you will go into complete confusion and chaos. And so uh, you and I, if you're born again, we're part of something significant Because Jesus Christ is significant, and God chose to invest His Son in us. You're significant because of the price that Jesus paid for you. You're significant because the Father has valued you. You are valuable because God has deemed you valuable by investing His Son in you. He has put a great investment in you, making you, therefore, you're valuable. So one of the things that uh, you may realize is that things that, that are significant to God are also significant to Satan. People don't think about that. It's like we're not living in a vacuum. So when Jesus came to earth, Satan met him and tempted him. And there's automatically going to be battles associated with things that are significant to God. If it's valuable to God, right, it's valuable to Satan for the opposite reason, right? He wants to stop what God is doing, starting, of course, with the Garden of Eden and moving forward to present day. Starting with, of course, also continuing even to Jesus Christ, who was tempted, right? And then also prayed through a garden to overcome the sin. That's why Jesus is the last Adam. So because we are in this war, and that's ultimately what it is, you were born in a war. Many of us didn't realize that. Uh, I was just listening to Doug Howie's podcast on, on the Missionary Roundtable the other day, and he was talking about this young Ukrainian uh, boy that, that was staying with him and Camellia, and how he w- it was wintertime, and he was getting him all dressed up to go outside. And and uh, the little boy, uh, he's raised in, over near Georgia, so he was brought up, the, the Russians. Uh, influence uh, you know when they took over crimea in that region changed the schools from ukrainian to russian so he he was being brought up learning russian he was just a little kid and so doug couldn't understand everything he was saying because doug doesn't speak russian uh, or ukrainian for that matter so he's trying to translate it through google translator and try to figure out what he's saying and and at any rate finally his mom comes home and um and and he finds out this kid is is terrified to go outside he doesn't want to go outside and play in the snow. Doug just assumed, right? What kid doesn't want to go out and play in the snow? Let's have fun. Let's go out and play in the snow. It's snowing out. Well, because he's grown up in a war. said He's worried about hiding in the bathtub. So the thought of going outside and playing in the snow just put terror in this little kid because he didn't want to go out and, and, you know, and get killed. And so uh, that wasn't, in his mind, a safe place and safe thing to do. Now, what's the difference there? He was brought up in a war. This little boy was brought up in a war. Many times, uh, we're born into this conflict between Satan and, and, and God, and, and you know things aren't right, but uh, you don't really realize the magnitude of the warfare that you're, you're born into physically. Forget it. Forget being saved, right? Once you're saved, you can look at it and you see clearly, well, yeah, there's this huge war. Now, in America right now, it's kind of easier to see because it's kind of a cultural thing, but it spills out ultimately in physical wars, you know, physical... Conflicts and all of that are all results of sin. It all just boils down to sin, and it ultimately is also um, indicative of the bigger conflict between Satan and God, because this planet is significant to God. You are significant to God. Uh, we just had a big, you know, Supreme Court ruling that was all about the significance of people who are yet born, right? And how significant are they, right? And who has the right to terminate life, the mother? Does the state have the right to protect it? All that kind of stuff. And, of course, the Supreme Court decided, you know what, we're getting out of this business. You states take care of that, which is good, I think, because it helps local, uh, you know, the people locally determine um, how they're going to handle life. And hopefully they choose life and not death. But those that hate God, you know, they, they love death. That's what the Bible teaches us. So, so there's this conflict. There's this conflict. And in the biblical context, as we consider Hebrews chapter 12, we're also in a race, and we're in this race, and when we run this race, it is it's significant enough to draw people together. When there's a big event, right, uh, people in Kansas City, like, uh, you know, sporting events, whether it's the Royals, which aren't doing so hot, hope you come to the uh, Faith and Family Day at the K, uh, or uh, the Chiefs, you know, they're hot right now, they got them homes and all that, so 70,000 people pack in at the stadium when the Chiefs are playing and then many more will watch on television. Why? Because in their mind, that's a significant conflict, right? They want to see victory. They want to see their team represent well. They want to see this, this engagement. And it, it, I mean, when you're, I remember how I was when I was lost. That literally make my week or break it. You know, you could like go away on Sunday like, oh man, they lost vicariously. I lost. Now I'm, I'm emotionally depressed because we were living through what, what goes on. On that silly little field which means absolutely nothing in the scope of eternity but that's how us humans are wired we're looking for that conflict we're looking for that significant uh, challenge and and then we actually identify with it we get caught up in it well do you know in hebrews chapter 12 uh, the bible tells us that there's a great cloud of witnesses and they're caught up in what we're doing uh in hebrews chapter 12 and, and verse 1 um i'm going to actually read that i didn't i wasn't planning on it so i'm turning there uh, real quick. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse uh, 1, the Bible says, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which just so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. That passage tells us that that we have entered into something, right? And that there are those witnesses that have come past a a great cloud of witnesses uh, are watching what we're doing, those that have gone before. You know, I used to think that when you died, the lights were out, and you just kind of quickened at the rapture. I don't believe that. That's really not consistent with Scripture. I believe you're more conscious when you die than you'll ever be. Uh, Of course, you may not have your glorified bodies yet, but at the end of the day, uh, there is a great cloud of witnesses watching what we're doing. They're interested in what's going on. The earth is ground zero. This is where the battle's being played out. The third heaven's secure. There's no no threat in the third heaven. Um, It is right here on the earth where everything is being played out, and this is where you're living. You're living in a significant place at a significant time, and if you're born again, you're a significant person because Christ is in you. Uh, and so it's important that we get, get a hold of this. People uh, that have even gone before, they're interested, right? There are people who have died. Uh, when Paul died and, Nero, and God uh, allowed him to die at the hands of Nero, uh, he, is, he is trusting that God is going to carry forth this gospel race until he returns. So when I get back, uh, when we come up out, of the, uh, up out of here and we get to the, the clouds, I'm going to be able to say, Paul, we finished this end of the race. We're the anchor team, right, if the Lord calls us up today and we are going to be able to finish strong because we're part of the story that God is playing out. We're part of this relay race through history. You are significant. I think I'm getting my point across, aren't I? Right? You're in a real battle. This is a, you're a real minister, or are you? Right? Are you really engaged? Are you kind of asleep at the wheel? And so I hope you're not asleep at the wheel. This race is run, uh, and it is significant, and it draws those who have gone before us to the big screen in heaven to watch right? Everybody wants to see what's going on in the game, in the theater of battle, what's happening, what's going on. Well, guess what, guys? You're living in it and heaven is interested. So how are you doing in this race? Are the witnesses disappointed that you've never even shown up, never even got on the track, right? Uh, Are are they wondering where you are? When are you going to begin to run the gospel race? And today is... wants to use you... And Satan wants to stop you. Am I cutting out? Okay. I don't think there's much I can do about that. So, uh, can you all hear me? All right. So, imagine your story if no one would have witnessed to you. What would it have been like if, no one, if you'd never heard the gospel? What if no one would have established this church 20 years ago? Uh, what if, what if uh, Harold Hapman wouldn't have prayed about planting a church? And what if I would have said, nah, I'm not going, Lord? I mean, God would have got it done one way or another, but, but it, it affected my life and it's affected some other people's life. What if, what if the man who led me to Christ, Earl Cross, wouldn't have taken time after, after school to come and lead me to Christ? Uh, man, my life would have been different. What if I wouldn't have heard the gospel? What if Doug Pearson wouldn't have invited us to go to India uh, in 2008? What if I wouldn't have bumped into Pradeep Lima while I was there and then eventually gone down and. And uh, we wouldn't have decided, what if we would decide not to work with those pastors and invest all that time and money? If you guys follow what's going on in India, it's amazing. What if I wouldn't have b- bumped into Rotten Ganger over in, uh, in, uh, in, uh, <clears throat> in Siliguri? I mean, God's doing a lot of good things just because, well, because God's good. And, and because we're on a race and we're, and God wants to use us beyond what we could ask or think. How different the story could be if we just didn't engage now Jeff was teaching this morning about that in his, in his ABF, about how obviously God is sovereign and God is in control, but he does call us, right, in our sanctification process to participate, right? We have to make a decision to engage, right? It, 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 we don't get through this life in neutral. We're not just some, some uh, you know, tissue mass running around here that's disembodied like a robot. God, has, God has, uh, has given us a free will to decide to join him in this gospel endeavor. So if you ever study. The life of significant people—you'll find that most of the time they're very, uh, they're very engaged. They may start off slow, but they end well. And there's lots of them you can study in history. But I was thinking about one as I was preparing for this because we're talking about how real ministers are drawn to real battles. And I thought about General George S. Patton. I don't know how many have heard of George Patton. All right, some of you haven't heard of him. Some of you younger folks might want to go back and check this fellow out. He was a general in World War II, and they called him Blood and Guts. And uh, some other he had some other uh, Spanish name I can't remember it's like hombre probably tough hombre or something I don't know what he was but he was in the Sp- he was in the Mexican American War um, and uh, he wasn't satisfied he didn't get enough uh, I think he was actually based out of the, back then out of the cavalry out of here at Fort Riley and so when he was a young uh, you know a young officer he was able to go down and fight Mexico and it just wasn't enough war for him now I know that's weird but he really felt like God had put him on the planet to engage in conflict and war and, uh, and to lead in battle. Well, I think he was right. The only problem was not a lot of people got along with George Patton at the senior ranks. He was not somebody that, uh, that all his, his peers really liked hang, ha- hanging around with. When he was in the war room, he was kind of prickly. He was kind of curt. And uh, he really didn't cooperate and play nice with a lot of the leaders. But, but he was super effective when you gave him everything he wanted and put him into, into, in, in gear and got him in the battle, this guy was, was, well, history speaks for itself. I mean, the guy was amazing as far as a general. And so <clears throat> he proved that he was, um, uh, he, that <clears throat> Patton, I'm sorry, I lost my, my place here. So um, he proved that he was, was, a, <clears throat> was able, he was bred for battle as he went into the Battle of Europe in that theater of war in World War II, he was again. He wasn't well liked, but he continued, and he was indeed born for battle, just as you were born for battle. Whether you know it or not, when you got saved, uh, you know you were already marked uh, in sense that you know the devil had you. Um, but once you get saved, you become a threat. Now, some of you don't really realize that yet. You don't really recognize that, but you are either on God's side or you're on the devil's side. You got to make a decision. Whether you like it or not, you're in a conflict, right? And, and you're born into that conflict. Is your mind ready? Is your, is your Bible ready, right? Are you ready to engage? Now, some people aren't, and some people never really get there. And they kind of, you know how it is, if they're not ready to fight spiritually, they're not going to win. doesn't mean they're going to lose their salvation, but they're never going to be everything that God wants them to be. But this, this conflict that we're in between God and the devil, between light and dark, between good and evil is something that each and every individual Christian has to really reckon with and decide, you know what, am I going to be significant in this thing or am I just going to go along to get along? And so uh, men like Patton, man, they made a decision early on, I'm going I'm to engage the way I've been created to engage, and, he, and I'm not saying he was a Christian, by the way, I don't think he was, as a matter of fact, uh, but I do think that, that God used him anyway uh, uh, to at least help this country go forward in, the, in that war. And so he had some incredible, um, his, one of the attributes of General Patton was his, his, or, his oratory skills uh, to, to move men into battle. This guy had an ability to speak in a way that he inspired his troops to go forward into battle, and that's a gift. And uh, he would speak in a way that would move the men forward, and he did move them forward. And so there's, some, there's many sayings that are credited to Patton. I'm going to give you just a few of them and tell you why they were so successful. The things that I, that I chose to... To, to share are things that were based, whether Patton knew it or not, in truth, right, in the Word of God. They were based in the truth of God's Word. So Patton said this, he said, lead me, follow me, or get out of the way. How many of you heard that before, right? Lead, follow, or get out of the way. That's a George Patton saying. And it's a twist on Paul's instructions in 1 Corinthians 4.16 and 11.1, 1, right? Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. So it's a little bit more uh, biblical and modified, right? Uh, uh, Patton wasn't quite there, but but that principle right of leading, following right. Who are we following? Christ. You can always count on Christ. You can follow him in, to the conflict. You can you can know that God's going to take you where you need to go. He's going to take care of you. Another thing that Patton said is do everything, uh, do everything you ask of those you command. Oh man, that is a isn't that a leadership principle? It's called servant leadership. It's what the whole Bible is about. If you get a if you could get a hold of Jeremy Bonison, man, he will bend your ear all day long. About, about that, uh, because that's also how they would like to teach in his, uh, his school up in Lee Summit. But biblically, this is what uh, we call leading from the front. Jesus said, remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. So Jesus says, "Hey hey, guess what? I've already gone before. Just look at what I've done and follow me. Some people are going to receive the word. Some people aren't. You will be persecuted and you will be received, but ultimately, to God be the glory. Follow me. All right, that's what Paul said. He gets right back to that issue of, you know, our leader is Jesus. He has gone before us. He has prepared a place for us. Another thing that Patton said is, say what you mean and mean what you say. James said it this way, but above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by earth, neither by any oath, but let your yea be yea and your nay be nay, lest you fall into condemnation. Right? Why halt you? Elijah said it this way. Why halt you between two opinions? Right? Serve God or serve Baal. But let's get it on and find out who we're going to serve. Right? Let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. Be clear. Be concise. Know where you're going. Another thing that Patton said is that many soldiers are led to faulty ideas of war by knowing too much about too little. Paul, Paul uh, told his son and the Lord Timothy, who was also a fellow sh- soldier, This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith in a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck. He's like, hey, Timothy, my son, make sure you have the right information, right? Uh, it, it's, it's, about, it's about who you know, not just what you know. And make sure you stay on track. Don't become shipwrecked. Don't go off course. And along those same lines, uh, Patton said, moral courage is the most valuable and usually, the most absent characteristic in men. The source of moral courage is found in Scripture and a commitment to the Word of God's precepts. It will bring a supernatural resolve and an unmatched success. The only mention of success, by the way, found in the Bible is found in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8. As God instills moral courage into Moses' servant, who is now the acting military commander for the nation of Israel, Moses is no longer there. And in his stead, this man Joshua steps into the battle. Now, he's, he's no novice. You guys know the story of Joshua. Joshua has been serving faithfully for over 40 years with Moses. But now it's his turn. It's his time. It's a picture of somewhat like discipleship, isn't it? God has us serving in the church, and we serve. And then there's times when God calls us up and He says, now you need to go forward and you need to lead. And at that time, God meets you. Whether it's at the altar when you get married, and now you're leading this bride and then the children that come, or whether it's in some ministry responsibility where you were just rank and file serving, and all of a sudden the gauntlet's been put on you, and now you're responsible. And and, and so when that comes, you know what? You need God, and you need the moral courage, the integrity, the focus, the single-mindedness to stay focused on the Lord Jesus. And so so Joshua said this, or the Lord said this to Joshua as he was taking command of the nation of Israel's mighty army. It says, Be strong and of a good courage, he said, Be strong and of good courage, for unto this people thou shalt divide for an inheritance inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses thy servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written therein. Then shalt thou Uh, make thy way prosperous, and then shalt thou find, or shalt thou have, I'm sorry, good success. Then he concludes and he says, have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. And he tells this commander, he commands the commander, do not be discouraged. You must be strong, right? You must have courage. How must you have courage? By believing what I say. I am with you always. What did Jesus say to the disciples? Lo, I am with you always, even till the end of the world. Listen, in case you're wondering what I'm talking about, God has put Christ in you, the hope of glory. You are a target, but Jesus Christ is with you even to the end of the world. He is with us always, right? And Christ, he is, he's literally sealed our soul to the day of redemption. The most courageous people, the most convicted people, the most focused people on the planet ought to be people who are born again. Ought to be people who have awoken to the reality that they are in a great spiritual conflict and that it is fluid. Even though Jesus won on the cross, right now what we're doing in the battle for souls, it is a fluid battle. That doesn't mean everybody that's going to be saved is saved, and that everybody that's going to get saved has heard the gospel. Right? So we got to be about the business of what the Lord Jesus Christ has left us here to do. Patton understood his identity as a man and as a soldier. Uh, I "I am a soldier, I fight where I am told, and I win where I fight, Patton said. Paul said this to his son in the Lord Timothy, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men. He didn't say give it to people who are not faithful. He says faithful men, not faithful boys, not faithful children. We're talking about men. "...mature men, who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangle himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man also strive for the masteries, yet is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully." Right? There has to be an integrity in the soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has to be committed to God, he has to be committed to God's word, and he has to be mature, willing to suffer hardness... And be focused on the mission at all costs. Paul also charged Timothy to fight a good fight. They hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. If you don't think Paul didn't understand that they were in a great conflict, you're kidding yourself. As he's giving his swan song, as he's talking to his son and the Lord, he's making sure his son and the Lord knows this. There is a battle, Timothy, and if you're going to survive, if you're going to lead, you got to be a good soldier. Right? You got to be focused on what's going on around you. So as Patton was was and is to military men and leaders, so the Apostle Paul is to us. We see in Paul and Timothy and many others who matured to serve the Lord through the centuries that authentic and real ministers are drawn to real battles. Believers who mature in the faith and grow into real ministers that reproduce God's character naturally are drawn into real battles. They understand that God has placed them here to serve where he sends us and and to make a difference in the lives of those captured and ensnared by the devil at his will. We, in essence, are freedom fighters, fighting to liberate the souls of men and women from the bondage of hell and make an impact for the kingdom of God. And that leads me to our text, which I've asked you to turn to, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. I need my spectacles because I must now read the Bible. I struggle without these things now. I'm I'm officially old. All right. Ephesians 6 and verse 10. The Bible says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, for all saints. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity just to read your word, to meditate upon it, to consider how real ministers are drawn into real battles. As we've already discovered, ministers are simply servants that are under authority. Uh, And Lord, all these real battles are just uh, full of people who are serving you. Lord, I pray, Heavenly Father, as we look through the annals of church history, as we look at the the biblical record of Acts, as we look at uh, even the Old Testament, we would see men and women that are full of faith, people who believe what your word says and engage uh, wherever it is that you call them. Lord, that we would fight the good fight of faith, that we'd lay hold on eternal life. Lord, I pray this message would stir us up and help us to care for those that are in a situation where they need to be rescued. Many don't even realize the peril they're in. Lord, may we be mature enough and responsible enough to engage where you call us to engage, go where you call us to go and do what you call us to do uh, and, and be who you call us to be. We thank you now and we praise you and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10, this first reality, real ministers are drawn to real battles. What we're going to look at in the next few weeks are that today we're going to see that that uh, <clears throat> that real ministers care for, casualty, uh, care for casualties, but next week we'll see that we also prepare for adversity and share the victory. Today we're going to be uh, celebrating the accomplishments of our Discipleship two class, so I'm only going to be able to hit this first point, but our first point is simply this, care for casualties. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Very familiar passage to most of us. That passage is packed right in the middle of a section dealing with God's wrath in 2 Peter chapter 3. He's saying that God is not mocked, right? He's not, he's not, he's not going to withhold his wrath forever. He's dealing with the flood of Noah. He says, hey, man, it, it's coming. But God is not... God, But he says that God is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. What does that mean? It means he's going to bring a hammer, but he's long-suffering. The only thing that's holding that hammer back is his long-suffering hand. He's not going to drop the hammer yet. Why? Because he loves people. He wants people to be saved. He wants everybody that will to get in on this grace that he is offering through his son. And so... Uh, point A for study this morning is care, uh, we are to care uh, care about what God cares about. Real ministers that are engaged in real battles, we care about what God cares about. We care for every soul because God cares for every soul. That's what we clearly see in Second Peter three nine. Every soul is important to God, uh, even the ones you may not like. Right? It doesn't matter. God loved the world. He, he I mean he may not have liked you either, right? And so he still sent his son to die on the cross for you. Praise God. The ministering Christian understands the righteous judgment of God. This is what moves them to win people with an urgency that that is driven by faith. So John 3.36 says this, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. You don't have to wait until you're dead you're already marked for destruction until you believe that's the thing that really got me saved once I finally realized that I was like ding you know we're in this delusion oftentimes when we're lost when I was lost sometimes you have this delusion that well my good will outweigh my bad and all this works-based stuff and you're under some delusion that somehow you're going to merit favor with God you're kidding yourself the wrath of God abideth on you already you better get the gospel while you got opportunity, or that hammer will drop. Once I kind of woke up to that biblical reality, it was like, where is I couldn't find the altar fast enough? I couldn't get to my knees quick enough because I knew God meant business. And man, what a grace that floods your soul when you know that you're saved from the wrath of God. What a blessing it is to go, whoo! I am saved. I am safe. I am saved. I am in Christ. Hallelujah to you. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 3 says, How shall we escape? If we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. How should we escape? My goodness, you're not going to. The fruit of uh, of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise, right? We care for every soul because we understand God cares for souls. He doesn't want to drop his wrath on everybody. He's been exceedingly long-suffering, almost 2,000 years has gone by, and he has still not brought it. Why? Because he has sent us forth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Give everybody a warning. He's sending out flyers. He's dropping flyers. Hey, we're coming with bomb. I'm coming with a bomb, man. Get out of the way. Get in Christ. Get in the, get in the shelter of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it's coming. Maybe it's, may it be said of us when the Lord returns that we are free from the blood of all men. As Paul gave his address to the Ephesians elders, he made it clear that he gave men every opportunity to be saved and sanctified through the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and the power of his word. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 22, the Bible says, as he's speaking to them, he says, And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit into Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save the Holy Ghost, witnesses in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me, but none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received through the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know, that all, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. So Paul says, you know what? I have a clean conscience before God in the sight of men. I, I, have, I, am, I am pure from the blood of all men. I was reading that in my, uh, well, not that. I was reading his testimony in Acts this last week in my daily reading where he said that same thing. And I'm like, wow, you know, he was the one who killed Stephen. And yet he had a clean conscience. He says, I'm pure from the blood of all men. You talk about amazing grace, right? That's why that song the hymn, Amazing Grace, was written because of the bloodshed that man had, had inflicted on people. And yet God said, you know what? You're forgiven. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Paul was experiencing amazing grace. He could say, I'm free from the blood of all men. Brother, you're free from the blood of all men. Uh, We were talking about men and women that are convicted and their their hearts are are hurt because of of, of, uh, maybe abortion and, and things like that. They're free from that. God has forgiven. So rest in the grace of God if you're born again. Point three, God has placed us here to stand in the gap. God has placed us here to stand in the gap. You may say, Brian, no one really cares about uh, culture or loving their neighbors anymore. That's just kind of old hat. That's, not, that's just not reality. We live in a concrete jungle, Brian. You don't get it. Well, that's all the more reason we should, that should be our reality because we contrast everything around us. We are, we are, to, uh, <clears throat> we are the, those that God has left here to stand in the gap. God is looking for people who will stand in the gap. I remember many years ago hearing a sermon about don't be a Baptist, be a Gaptist, right? And, and, and uh, man, it was a great sermon. And he kept yelling, who's going to be a hedge? Who's going to be a hedge? Are there any hedges in here? And I'm like, oh my goodness. There is. It had to be eight, man. So Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30. This was the passage. And I sought a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land and I should not destroy it, but I found none, but I found none. What if God is calling us to engage? What if he says, hedges, you're in the game, but hedges is somewhere else, not being a hedge, right? Not standing in the gap. I mean, we got to engage. We got to be real about this thing. We got to be a real servant. We got to be a real minister, and it grows. It grows in maturity. In faith. this is not something you put on babies, this is something you put on mature men. Soldiers are not children. Some of these third world countries and stuff, that's what they do, right? They inscript little kids to give them, give them uh, Kalashnikovs and all that. They give them guns to go off and fight. That's not what real armies do. That's what not, that's not, that doesn't make them a man. You want to get in front of a fighting force of trained men that have something to live for, not just getting high and going off and killing people? But they're actually, they're fighting for their families, their children. Why? Because they understand the real value of life is not in who you kill, but in who you protect. Right? It's about life-saving. And so this world is, is, is all twisted and upside down. And God says, hey, I'm looking for a man and will stand in the gap. Is there anybody? Is there anybody that will form a hedge? These are the last hours before the catching away of the church. And an even greater deception than we are already seeing is coming. Once we're gone, the pillar and ground of the truth, the salt and the light that this world has been, uh, is getting increasingly um, you know, frustrated with, will be we gone, and the darkness will overtake the land, and it will be a great deception. As Jesus actually spoke about this in Matthew 24, this is after the church is gone, it says this, and many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Beloved, we're already starting to see that, aren't we? You can already see that. The love of many is waxing cold. We're being, our minds are being corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ. Real ministers will be found busy about the Lord's work. Like Ruth, gleaning the corners of the field, even as the sun sets on the harvest, because we appreciate the opportunity to serve in God's field. We recognize that, hey, yeah, maybe the best harvest has already come in, but give me a corner of the field, Lord. Leave me some handfuls of purpose so that we can bring in, uh, bring in a bounty for the Lord Jesus Christ, because we don't want to go back to Moab. There's nothing in Moab for me anymore. I'm only going forward with the Lord. Not one of us, and we do that by faith. There's not one of us that, that should not be laboring in the field, picking up those handfuls of purpose, because we love our Lord and want to take full advantage of the grace that has been bestowed upon us. Man, we are the bride of Christ. She is a virtuous woman. May we have that virtue. May we have that character that God would have us to have in Christ. So God's heart must be our heart. Turn to John chapter 3. You know this verse, but just go ahead and turn there with me for just a moment. God's heart must be our heart. John chapter 3 and verse 16. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Christians engage in preaching the gospel and discipling saints because they've been given a new heart. It's actually the heart of of what God wants. God loved the world, so we love the world. We love people who won't love us back. We love people that actually hate us. What a great opportunity to be a Christian right now. There's lots of people who actually are laying a lot of stuff. I mean, I had nothing to do with the Supreme Court decision. In 1970 or 2022 or 73, whatever. Uh, I'm glad they made a good decision. But at the end of the day, a lot of people are laying that on Christians. Why? Because they intuitively know these people are about life. Life. Okay, I own that. I'll own that. If you want to talk about somebody that's about life, I've inherited eternal life. I'd like to share him with you. His name is Jesus Christ. Man, what, what is that coming from? It's coming from a new heart. When we get saved, God takes that stony heart and He crushes it, and, and we and we have a new heart and we care even about people who hate us. Remember how we saw in our previous reality about real ministers that are obedient servants. It was something that issued from the heart in Ephesians six five through six. This is a hard issue. The servants of Christ have single hearts, providing the strength necessary to see what God wants to have done done. The servant of Christ performs from the heart, like Jesus. We are we we are both aware of God's love for people, and in a position to do something about it. And so, <clears throat> I want to charge you this morning. And I'm going to pull up here because we're running out of time. I'll just we'll have three parts of this message. All right. So, but let me just charge you this morning. Practically speaking, have you been doing something about what God has, about what God has called you to do? Have you is, do you have a heart? to do something about the Great Commission. We had a whole vision conference, right, about owning the mission and all of those things, and we talked about how important it was to own the mission. Are we owning the mission? Do we understand what the mission is? Are we taking charge of that? Are we engaging? Now, some of us, the way you do that is to prepare. I've made it abundantly clear. I would not want to put the weight of the ministry, right? You get saved last week, come up here. I'm going to go on vacation and just take over the church for a week. That's not how it works. Right, there's a process that God matures us. I'm not asking anybody to get in a position where the weight of, of, of God's call is going to crush you. But at the end of the day, there has to be a desire of heart to go forward into the battle. And you guys are doing that, by the way. I'm, very, I'm preaching to the choir here. You guys are a wonderful church. I'm so blessed uh, to be able to be here and, and serve along with every one of you. But how, how many of us right now, practically speaking, how many of you participated in VBS? I bet a ton of you did. Yeah, preach. You go ahead. Put your hands up. That's cool. All right. That's a good portion of you. A lot of you participate in VBS. You know what? You were you were owning that mission. You were answering the call. It's not that you have to. I mean, there's nothing wrong, by the way, with going around the world. That you're called to do that too. But it starts with just going right here. There's plenty to do right here. And we're always doing stuff right here where we live. When we talk about the Great Commission. It's Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost part of the earth. It's not. It's not. Uh, you know, one at a time, it's simultaneously, supernaturally. God calls us to accomplish the mission of God. How many of you are going to participate in Spark in the Park? Man, is Pat, Pat, see the hands, man, make sure. So I'm going, I'm going, I hope you're going. Come out to Spark in the Park. That's part of the easiest, one of the easiest ways to witness that you'll ever find. Hey, you want a, you want a flag? You want a gospel? You want, hey, can I share this, this gospel track? Oh, no, okay, great. Well, then I won't. But hey, have a good day. God bless you. And you just seek people that will receive the message. You just look for people that want to visit. You, you would be shocked. You go out there all scared to death, thinking people are going to spit in your face. You know what? Cass County is, is one of the friendliest places I've ever been in my life. I very rarely, I've had a few people get in my grill, but very few people in Cass County get in your grill like they do up in Jackson County. You get a lot more of that in Jackson County. Out here in Cass County, people are pretty gracious. If, you're, if you have any cool at all and you have any cooth, you're really not going to have any problems witnessing in Cass County, because these people are pretty gracious. Even if they hate your guts, they're going to smile and say, "God bless you." And uh, <laughs> what does that they say? Bless you. Bless your heart. There you go. They'll say, "Bless your heart," and uh, and then you go, "Okay," and you keep moving. But uh, but you know what? It's it's a light affliction. I'm just telling you, it's not hard uh, to be a part of that. And if you don't, and if you're not up for that, you know what? Come and follow me. I won't make you do anything. You can just kind of tag and watch and. That's how I got started. I was scared to death to go out and witness the first time I did it. I'm still scared to death, but I still do it because once you press through that wall, it's like, it's like you're free. You know, It's amazing. It's awesome. But sometimes you've got to have someone to go with you to kind of prime the pump. And, and then before you know it, you'll be like on the bike riding it yourself. You'll be like, hey, what was I worried about? This is so cool. It's so awesome. You know what will make it awesome is you will connect. God will put someone in your life that is in need. And this whole point that I'm bringing up will connect for you. You'll all of a sudden realize, I'm put on this planet to help people in need. And, I, and someone who really needs someone to care about them is going to get connected to you. And all of a sudden, you're going to realize you've got the answers. You've got the words of eternal life that this person needs. And man, when that happens, it doesn't matter if you've been to HBI. It doesn't matter if you've been through D2 or D1. You should share the story that God used to get you saved with them. And man, it's on. Like, it's, it's on. And God is doing his work. It's amazing just to share your testimony with other people and see people come to faith in Christ. How many of you will be uh, participating in Faith and Family Day? I mean, we're having a one, two, three this summer. It's time to, it's time to get engaged and get involved in real battles. And we want to make sure that we are drawn to these real battles. I'll talk to you a little bit more about that next week. But how many of us have witnessed at least to one person this week? I know many of you have, right? Uh, that's a, that, I, mean, this, I mean, I don't care if you're in VBS or out of VBS. That's just a goal you can set. You know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to witness... To somebody this week, or I'm going to witness to somebody today. So, us pastors, well, we, I get to preach the gospel all the time. Outside of all of that, who have we witnessed to, right? Who are we witnessing to? Who are we sharing the gospel with? Who are we being intentional about sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ with? Every one of us that is saved can do that. So, this week, Bobby Blaine, right? Uh, she's had a tough week, and we could say we we need to pray for Bobby, and we could say. Well, you know, Bobby's had a tough week. Her knee replacement went out. She had to have another knee replacement. She went to the uh, the rehab facility, and then all of a sudden, she's dealing with blood clots, possible stroke, all that drama that was going on. If there's anybody in our congregation this week that could have had a pass on sharing the gospel, I'd have given Bobby a pass. Not to mention she's probably on some heavy-duty narcotics. But you know what? According to the, she witnessed all the way through, didn't she? she every time she got a chance x-ray technicians are not off limits nobody mr whatever i mean she is like hey do you know jesus she's witnessing and witnessing and witnessing why because you know what she's a real minister and she's in a real battle literally for her life and what's more important to her than her life is the life of christ and other people guys I, i heard that and i was like wow Sir, yes, sir, Bobby Blaine, you're the man, even though you're a woman. But anyway, <laughs> she's a real minister, completely focused on winning the war. Hey, for all those gender folks, how about that one, all right? So, uh, <laughs> so anyway, she, she's focused on winning the war no matter where she's stationed because she, counts her, she doesn't count her life, dear, but she lives, uh, lives a life for those uh, that God has placed around her. And again, I just as I, as I conclude, we've seen examples of that. Uh, Gayla Morford, same way. Uh, we're here at her funeral, uh, giving the gospel multiple times over. And, and a young man comes to me and says, uh, he wants to get saved. We, we go through the plan of salvation, he gets saved. But you know what he said? He says, you know what? Uh, the reason I'm here, in a nutshell, is because Gayla told me like three weeks ago, I need to get saved, get my life in order, All right? She was witnessing. And God used the occasion of her passing to bring that young man into the kingdom of God guys that's that's you know what that, that's real ministers being drawn to real battles seeing people that are in need and there's real casualties people's lives are wrecked it's like a car wreck and you just keep driving by no people with a heart they stop and they go and they try to help and they want to help them with what the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ the same thing that helped us get out of a ditch is the same thing that's going to help others and so we got to be busy about that next week when we come back we'll finish up I'm going to park it right there for now on point number five and we'll pick it up from there because I'm excited about what we got after this and I want to really work that. I don't want to run through it. So let's uh, have a word of prayer and uh, we'll continue to wrap this up. Let's stand. Heavenly Fathers, we end on this uh, charge to go forward.